This is the making of a Nat Geo podcast. I'm Stacey Wilson Hunt. It's exciting to have two guests with us today from National Geographic's limited series, Barkskins, costume designer Anna Tarasas and production designer Isabel Gay. Welcome to you, Anna and Isabel. Welcome to you too. Thank you. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Hi, Isabel. Barkskins is unique in that it's 17th century New France, an early settlement in what's now modern-day Quebec, which is also where Barkskins was filmed. The world is a unique blending of native, European, and North American aesthetics, and the word Barkskins itself refers to the indentured servants who were transported from Paris slums to the wilds of New France in the early 1690s. So in, in looking at your careers, each of you has had an incredible run of film and television projects that span both contemporary and period narratives. And Isabel, I would love for you to tell us about this particular film you made with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, how, let, how, me, let me figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me how that working on that film served you so well in prepping to execute this enormous task in Barkskins. That's a very interesting question. Um, actually, working on the film, uh, there was two things that were just so great to see and experience, and it's uh, to be and tell out us there. the film just in case nobody figured it out. The Revenant, the Revenant, <laughs> it is right uh, with uh, production designer Jack Fisk, uh, very good friend and fantastic designer. So what was really interesting and uh, inspiring of working there is to walk the woods and, uh, and have all those locations that are far out. And you would drive to those locations for hours, get up in the morning in the dark and drive until you see the sun rising behind the mountains. So to be out there in the field was something really, really fantastic. And, and this was uh, in Quebec, the same location where you shot bark skins? No, not at all. It was okay. in uh, Alberta, Calgary. In Alberta, okay. Yep, and uh, close to, you know, to all the beautiful ski hills. So this is, uh, so I, yeah, we worked in, in Calgary. We were based in Calgary and we were driving two hours south or one hour west to the sets, mostly every day, uh, in the woods and uh, in the snow. So uh, it's very similar, but uh, I learned a lot by, you know, I, you know, how to figure out the sun in the, in the forest and what would be best for a location, the access for the crew, and that, that was a lot of things to learn of uh, what to do, what not to do in the forest in the winter. Yes, it's quite an undertaking. I, I get cold just thinking about it, to be honest. <laughs> and it was real cold. I knew that Inerito liked to have his actor right in the, in the creek. And it was real water and real freezing. Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, both, both The Revenant and Barkskins really speak to that. It's, I feel like I'm there, which is a job well done on your part. This and is Anna, another, oh, sorry. Uh -huh. Sorry, oh, no, I, I was just going to add one little thing, Stacey, is that sure. the, uh, on the other side, this was, you know, the location and the woods and that this is one thing. And the second thing is, uh, which is that we build this, the sets were built there physically inside and out. So when you right. get into the fort and you go into the, you know, into the, not the restaurant, but you go into get a beer there, you just walk in and out and you go where, where all these offices are, you go in and out of the set, there was no like no on stage work. So this was really inspiring. And this is what I wanted to do with Wobeck on the Barskin. Oh, I love that. And I'm going to ask you some more detailed questions about all the construction that went into that. Because I imagine that's a huge undertaking into itself. And, and Anna, in dressing the characters in Barkskins, and again, this is a, a unique environment. This is 17th century New France. And 
and there's a sense of a mixing of worlds. You have sort of this old school French style, but you also have servants, you have native people, you have people of varying classes. How did that make your job difficult in having to dress and design so many different types of clothing? Um, well, we had to start seeing with, I mean, the characters. Um, it was a good conversation with Elwood as well to try to set us in, in the time, you know, and understand what was um, Quebec City in that time and what was a fil and what was happening in, in the world. Um, right. So we went through research in, in, in books, mainly um, history books about this. Um, one of the things that we kind of um, found a little bit, not difficult, but it was just we have to dive in a, a tiny bit more. Um, most of the information that we were finding, it was regarding more toward the wealthy class um, rather than more like lower class. Um, and we really wanted to make it um, to be historical accurate. And that way we had to start talking to different historians um, to be an understanding, you know, because the, the books and, and sometimes the internet just don't tell you exactly how it was. And we really wanted our characters to dress the way they used to do in that time, you know, even like the girls had to put the, the corset because it was a, for me, it was just like a very um, huge question, like how these people that didn't have any help whatsoever, that they had to wake up every morning and do their own clothes, how would they put their, their corset? Um, and through this, we, we talked to a great historian in London. Her name is Cass. And she walked us through like a main, she opened our eyes, you know, because we were, not that we were completely wrong, but in certain cases, like fashion in that time, changed it a lot and really fast. Um, and so I guess for, for us, that was like the main thing, just to try to see which class we were dressing and what we wanted to portray. Um, and same situation with the First Nations. It was a lot of um, research. And again, if it was difficult to find sort of images in, in, in history about the, the people in the, in the 17th century, more in this town, it was harder to find um, images, like more imagery, things about the, the Huron-Wendat or the Iroquois. Um, and we were very lucky that um, there's a museum in Montreal, which maybe I'm going to pronounce wrong, but Pointe Calier, that opened um, their library to us. And they had a lot of information they also had this amazing historian and he was an illustrator and his name was was francis back and he gave us like he helped us you know or helped me to just try to understand what we were really dealing with and and he had a good interpretation of of this time and i think this is a show that um i really wanted to do a historical um accurate show but at the same time give it a twist and for me, it was really important to be a show that it's, that it's different. You know, there's, there's a lot of shows that have talked about this before. And um, we dove in even for like, there's a beautiful sort of item of clothing that, that we learned that I had no idea that this existed. And it's called the Mantua. And I thought it was just for the wealthy women. 
in that time. And Cass opened, I mean, t told the story that it became sort of fashion in the 1690s um, to lower classes as well. And, but most of the rental houses, for example, didn't have this piece. We were just lucky to find like 20 pieces or something. Um, so we found a pattern and then we started pattern making everything. And that, I mean, at the, the same time, helped us a lot because we were able to give it a twist and just to put a little bit different things into each mantua. Um, so those sort of things um, were really amazing to find and to learn. Wow. Sounds like an exhaustive process, which definitely shows on screen, by the way. It, your hard work really comes through. So, Isabel, I, I heard you had to scout locations in the snow. First of all, is that true, and how does one go about doing that? Yes, it's true. It was really true. Real snow, and, uh, you know, it was. Uh, we started the scout in the full winter here in Montreal, Quebec uh, province, in uh, April. So, there was, uh, in the location that we looked, there were at least four feet of snow everywhere we were going to start with. So, uh, when, Wow. Yeah, so... At the very beginning, I know that Elwood uh, had visited prior to, you know, the fall before. So he had a few pictures of uh, some location he liked around Quebec City. And let's just say who Elwood is. Elwood Reed, your executive producer and sort of the showrunner mastermind of this whole undertaking. Oui, voila. <laughs> so uh, there was a few pictures of uh, around Quebec City that he took. But we at the very beginning, we would try to see if there wasn't anything closer to Montreal where the whole team would come from. <clears throat> To help out and uh, scout a little bit here under the snow around the Laurentians uh, to find that it was not equal or not as good at all as what Elwood had looked at around Quebec City. So uh, we started our scout around Quebec City and various places with Michel Saint-Arnaud, which is a wonderful location manager that uh, went through all those uh, scouts with me at the very beginning. And uh, I must say that Quebec City is at least, you know, another two, three more feet of snow at that time. So uh, we oh, definitely wow. were getting there into a snowstorm in the city and would start early morning at six out there with our lunch boxes <laughs> and uh, get on the, you know, get in the, the, the four wheel drive. And from the four wheel drive, we'd stop at one location and jump into skidoos because there was no other way. You know, we started the scout with uh, a lot of, um, Google Alert, you mm -hmm. know, try to find some place that would have uh, a bigger, big opening for to fit Wobec size of the village. And mm -hmm. try, really, we did a lot with mapping. Uh, Michelle is good with mapping and looking at rivers and uh, how wide would they be? How wide do we need a river to be? Uh, so we did a lot Google, a lot of measurement, and then we hit the road with uh, the skidoos and find the people to help us out through all those uh, beautiful mountain wow. lands. And Eight what? feet. You know, there was some, you know, when we scouted, Stacey, that was really so interesting. We didn't realize how much snow there was, but they, they put some sticks, those Kidu guys with the trails in the ground, and there's some, you know, markers. I'm like, and you could see eight, nine, ten. I said, what is it? He said, these are, these, this is the amount of snow that's underneath this kidoo. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, so there was really eight feet of snow between, underneath of us. So Wow. That's amazing. And, and in terms of planning the, the building construction, how would you describe the architectural style of the types of buildings that you would have to make? Because it's a mix of, you know, it's obviously very rustic, but then some of the buildings in town are trying to emulate kind of a more European city feel. What, what was the overall style that you were having to create? It has to, you know, the style had to be, first of all, of the right era. And uh, there's a lot of research that was done to see what the building, because it's all different from the various 
you know, area you're at. Right. You know, we're in, in the United States, in the north of the United States, or Quebec. So we started with the museums a lot. There's five great museums in Quebec province. Uh, visited those. But what was also really amazing is that close to our location, there's a 10 minutes away, 20 minutes away, there's the Ile d'Orléans. It's called Little Island, hmm. close to Quebec City. And they still have at least five houses built of the good era. Oh, wow. So, so you know, minor or less, a few 50 years. And uh, so visited, we started by visiting these houses. This was really a good, great experience to see all the architectural And what are these details. houses made of? What was the construction material? It's pièce sur pièce. It's really uh, logs of wood that had been cut square, not like you take a tree, a trunk, and you chop it square, you cut the corners and make it like a, a square logs. But it was cut, you know, you cut a tree and then you go with the big saw and cut from one side to take the bark away. And then, you know, the same thing. So it becomes square. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's pièce sur pièce. You put them on top of each other with uh, some, um, uh, I don't know how to say that in English. There's a, a material that goes between. So it sits, they sit on each other and the air doesn't come through. And you just put them between the logs. So it's piece sur piece construction with, um, it could be the corner, could be dovetail. There's a lot of beautiful details in the architecture of those buildings. You know, some wow. had more time and more money. Uh, you would, uh, so this is how it all started. And this is the soil that I decided to go. This was what was there. So it had to be the same authentic right. construction wow. details. And how many structures total did you build during the, the show? Uh, in Webbeck, I think there was 20 something houses. And, oh my goodness. Uh, and, about we started with uh, a little more but then uh, like everything we have to make the budget so it, you know there was a maybe one or two that we didn't build and uh, and then uh, you know the the there was the the cabins the cabins in the woods there mm-hmm. was uh, you know there was a few cabins uh, that were built uh, some for settlers uh, some were full cabins where we would shoot inside and outside and go in and uh, and some other were just facade, just, you know, really quickly, we say, oh, this should be a couple of guys here. So, uh, okay, let's take this cabin that we already have, and I'm going to add you another two-quarter of one there and two-quarter of one here, and redress all around it. It's going to look like a new a new place, a new little settler's place. So wow. I think, uh, yeah, probably five wooden cabins plus the village plus Trepanese Manor and uh, the Indian villages, of course, which were, you know, the village of the Wendat. So this is different construction at all, a new completely new wow so you're essentially a city planner (laughs) (laughs) i started with the city planner and after it was more of finding a good place for a cabin in the wood wow Uh, (laughs) that's an amazing skill set you probably never dreamed that you would have no no really (laughs) to find a place to build a village this is something that uh, was the first in my career and i'm not sure it's ever going to come back Uh, very, very lucky it was fun to do it was really really nice wow and then similarly for anna to speak to the scale of, of the job ahead of you, how many original pieces were you charged with constructing and how did you go about doing that? Did you have a large team of people helping you make them? The team when we started, um, let's say in the showroom, were like around 40 people. Um, and I was really, really lucky to have the best pattern makers in town. Um, there, there are two beautiful men that I, I really admire. And in order to do this the way I wanted, and, and they almost believed that I was a little bit crazy, 
Um, <laughs> they started to do just one piece as a sample that they, they were copying out of a pattern that um, we rented from a rental house. And when they give it to me, I was like, no, this is wrong. We needed to do it right. So every seam that was exposed had to be done by hand. Um, so you can't imagine all the amount of work that was into it. And basically we did every costume for all the main characters. Um, wow. And as you can imagine, they didn't just have one. We had to do triples um, because of whatever the water, blood, fights, anything that could happen. Yes. That was my next question is all the mud and how, how did you keep the clothing clean? Yeah, well, we had three of each, I mean, not all <laughs> at the same time. So we, was, we were really fighting to be on track of what we were shooting and what was coming next. And, and basically more because we put, I mean, the, the, the process that, that we I like to work is obviously find the historical piece. Um, I had a, this beautiful pattern maker that he could see a photo, like a, not a photo, a, a painting and just pull out the pattern out of that you know and obviously we made it a little bit twist things change the buttons or the lining um but but it was it was a really beautiful and and again i will say same as isabel like we were really lucky to be able to construct every piece of clothing that went into each character you know and it was designed and we found the fabrics and it was it was pretty hard to find the fabrics as well because we needed to be um, historical accurate, you know, but, but with a twist. And we scouted every store in Montreal, in Quebec. There were stores in Quebec that we took everything that they had. Um, and then that was like the pattern making and the seamstresses. There were about 10 of them. And then we had a beautiful other team of aging and patina and colors. Um, and for the First Nations, we really wanted to find, um, in all the research that we had, there was not a lot of color. And what I came to realize, it was like films before, and they were mostly like the, the costumes that they were done, it was really kind of brown. And I thought that these guys, I mean, they have so much detail in each accessory that, that we were finding, you know? And so we went through working with this beautiful, well, women also from Montreal to pull out different colors. So we were building our own colors and see how those colors were reacting in different cuttings, leathers, most than anything leathers for, for the Iroquois and the Wendat. Um, and even the accessories that they all have, everything was made by hand. There was no hmm. machine. Um, at some point, there were some students from schools that came to help and learn. And at oh, the beginning, wow. everyone, again, they, they thought I was, I was crazy. And um, there was two beautiful ladies that believed in the project and in, in what I was trying to say, because nowadays there's so many things that can make it look like it was done by hand, you know, or like machines that can, you can print and it would look like it was, it was, um, yeah, it was something by hand. But for me, it was really important that this, I mean, every bead that you will see in each of the, um, bags that the Iroquois are carrying, they were sewn by hand. And wow. every piece was for them. It was cut in the studio. We built everything from the, uh, for them. Let me just interject real quick. I'd love to know the fabrics that you used, both for the native dress, but also for, for the other characters' clothing. What specific fabrics were you trying to track down when you went to those stores? 
Well, mostly, I mean, in that time, it was a lot of wool. And that was a little bit hard for us because we were beginning of shooting um, when it was starting to be hot in Quebec. Um, and also because of the weight of the fabrics that back in the time, you know, like the skirts and the petticoats and all the many different layers, like the petticoat is made up by, by cotton and then the skirt on top, it was by wool. So we really tried to, to get as close as we could to the fabrics that they existed in that time. And even for example, for Trepagny, that we gave it, ourselves a little bit of freedom and tried to find, yes, obviously a fabric that will give us the weight for the coat, but also to have a different texture. And for me, one of the most important things is like everything needed to have texture and color because if not, everything goes very kind of just flat. And after building the things, it has to go to an incredible um, time of patina and aging and um, so yeah, it, it was hard and at some point we were a little bit desperate and we're like, should we go and research for some fabrics in New York? But we really wanted to do everything in, in, in Montreal and we were very lucky to have an amazing shopper that kind of knew every store in, in Quebec and everywhere um, and brought us amazing stuff. And for the Iroquois, the Wendat, we did um, leather different types of leather and cotton as well also when they start like the sort of transaction um that they do with the europeans they start having wools you know like the blankets and they start adding like the metal into their clothes and for that there's just like a little bit of details more decoration um and yeah that was that was a beautiful process i have to say and my team was fantastic. They reacted really, really well at the beginning. Again, with the color situation, I think they were a little bit afraid. Um, and again, I, I wanted to be, I didn't want to step in anybody's toes, you know. I just thought it was really interesting. And, and Elwood and David Slade, the director of the two first episodes, um, really pushed me to do that. And um, yeah. I think no, that's, that's great. That's one of the most beautiful things that, that, that we did and got a chance to do it everything by hand. That's amazing. That's hard to even imagine, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and Isabel, I'd love to talk about, you know, that so much of the show takes place outside in these beautiful forests among the trees. How did you work to minimize the impact on the environment when you're so much shooting and, and equipment and construction is taking place outside? What was your sort of green plan on that front? You have to get a land where there's a great access to start with that you're going to have a, you know, many roads already there. And from there, you can just uh, go and make some smaller for ATV, little uh, smaller equipment. The first important thing is that the whole crew knew that they were not going to drive their truck and right away, you know, all at the door of the different location. So a lot of them... I had to start looking, some were more complicated, so some I knew already that we'll have to bring some rain towers or some bigger equipment or some night, night scenes, so you need to bring the light. But every location I was trying to find is to, I was trying to really say, okay, this is a night scene, this is a day scene, Try. you have to go with the light, you have to find 
where what's going to be the light when we shoot with you know it's a lot of uh little elements to put together so first was the light as you say there's the access that you don't want to you know destroy the forest to get to the location i don't want to destroy the forest because i want the set to look pristine and as it would have been so there's only going to be a little uh so much you can do you go we go to a place and we're going to do like a tree branches you know you go from that root and you go with little and it's really just like a tree you have the main road that's already there and some of the major branches that were already on the location that i was trying to find and then from there i was i we were going to build a little branch to go closer to the set so uh that's that's just a long long research because some of the beautiful places that we like it was just impossible to bring a crew all the way there Although the first day of shooting, I must say, was pretty far away for, for the big vista. And uh, I remember when the crew get out of the 25 minutes in a little, uh, a little bus, boom, 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 all the way to the top, <laughs> is that they got out. And the first thing they all say, it's like, we're not coming back here, Isabel, you're crazy. You know, it's like, <laughs> it was way far. I said, listen, guys, this is the furthest away. This is the first day of shooting, and then it's only going to get better, you know. <laughs> but uh, you have to have a great team, you know, for every department, you know, electric camera, grips. They had to carry things by hand. They had to be, you know, troopers. They had to to be part of this otherwise you would destroy the land when i mm. you, you definitely would if you don't put barriers and and flags and and little so it was to be to be take time you just have to take the most time and make sure you've you've looked at every every possible place and you pick the best one for the light for the access for the crew for the construction mm -hmm. also the construction was coming and carrying things by end a lot so wow. not just uh not just uh not just the easy department that come with their iPad, you know, it's mm -hmm. like uh, every, everyone had to uh, come very with their small shoes and walk into. And the greens department also, every, every time we go, they have to re remake it beautiful. So when, you know, you build a house, of course, when you build a log, a log cabin, it's going to be a mess all around it. Even if you do it with the same tool and, and, and try to be very minimal construction crew, you build this into the woods, you have to bring the equipment, you have to build it, and then you have to distress it and you have to make it alive and just add some moss on the roof and paint and age and come with the, the fake the fake chimney, the fake stone chimney. And then after the painters would come and make it all real and beautiful and then aging, aging with the paint, aging with the material that it, that we were in the forest, you know, we're taking the moss, taking the weeds, taking the, the, the leaves, the dead leaves, everything that was around us, the dirt. And then the fabulous greens, you know, the fabulous and non-stopping, <laughs> never, you know, never, never stopping day and night where it would come and, and dress it all. And then we would make it all look like it was before we all destroyed everything. You know, not destroyed, but, you know, smashed a little bit of the paths and uh, make it look like there was no, uh, no, no one was there. You know, construction was never there. So uh, this house has been there forever. So you have to be delicate. And, uh, and uh, I think the whole crew, the entire crew was so, so respectful of the sets and that would make it uh as you said that we didn't we didn't destroy the nature so much we were very very careful oh so amazing sort of like what we learn in scouts when we're young leave it better than we found it right we voila exactly <laughs> it has to look better when they like when we left it was a you know it was better actually uh we planted things that were indigenous of the place so everything that we brought back 
and we and the greens will put some mosses and some ferns and 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 it had to be from the indigenous of the place so when we left it's going to be here this year you know it's going to grow back that's great i love that anna there are inevitable things that happen with all the costumes that you were working with on the set of Barkskins, did you have any, as we call them, major wardrobe malfunctions during shooting? And if so, how did you fix those on the spot? Because I imagine that can be very stressful. Yeah, I guess there was, not that I can't recall something that really broke or something that was, and always, I mean, we had, as I said before, three coats per character or something like that, but we really tried to be, um, just to use the one till we really had to change it, you know? And every time we had something, one of the things that I like to do, it's just do it there. And if it notice, it notice, you know what I mean? And just stitch it by hand, because it's something that they would do it that way. Like nowadays, I feel like you can buy a pair of jeans and any brand, whatever, and the first day they rip apart, you know, this, because <laughs> right. I guess it was by hand and it was a lot of love. It was just very, very, no, and this is the, the way that clothes were before, you know, like people didn't have to change the wardrobe so, so much. And nowadays I think it's just, it's, it's so easy, you know, and things rip apart. And, and it was also part of the, of the fabrics that, that we picked. I mean, mostly we had problems with the shirts, you know, because they're made out of cotton and really thin and we worked them so much that they were ripped. But again, I would just stitch them and I like things to be noticeable of what happened and to make it real. Right. And clothes were made back then for durability, so they didn't have to keep buying them. So maybe... And maybe that was the peak of uh, clothing construction back in the day. Completely. <laughs> Just like I agree with everything you. was lasting longer. Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> everything was, was stronger and solid and bigger. Yes. <laughs> well, certainly because it had to be out of pure necessity. So I would love to know, and this is a question for both of you, a two-part question, and maybe Isabel can start. What are you most proud of in terms of how you executed your work on this series? And what do you hope audiences learn about this particular time in history? I think that the part that I'm probably the most proud of is uh, to, it's, it's the authenticity of what I build, the authenticity of what Wobek looked like. And uh, I wanted to give Wobek a real life. I wanted it to look real. And it's been there for so many years. And I wanted the people to feel that it was there for all these years. And uh, and the same way for the Wendat Village. I, I'm so proud that it's been built. We did the research that it needed to be the right material with the right distance, the right pole of the trees and uh, and all the all the dressing inside with the fires and, and uh, the drying, you know, the drying corns. And into to the very small details, I think that everything we did from what I know and what I learned, what I researched and everyone researched and you know, we had the, as, the same way as Anna, there was not just only the museums and the books, but um, there was some historical sites and there was some specialists and historian that worked with us. And every time we were questioning and questioning more and making sure. So this is what I think I'm the proudest is like all the details when you look to the, as close as the camera can get is what it was, what it would have been. So I think it was the, to me, it was the most important that it has to be, uh, the light had to hit all the textures and the color the way that it would have hit, hit it then. So it needed to have those textures and the life. 
and the weeds around the house and all of the gardens needed to be the real gardens and the real vegetables and what the, what would have been there for the when that we went and learned how they were planting their their vegetables so they would put uh, you know the corn in the middle and they would put some uh, squash around it to protect from you know the two live together and they were growing together so we had to learn how to how to grow veggies and uh, and all of those details from what you eat what you grow the animals how you live uh, how close do you want to be to a river or far do you want to be from this or that so this was all to be incorporated in it, all those designs so it's the, it's really the authenticity I'm the most proud of. And and what say. do you think, what do you hope audiences learn about this story, which some people may be mm. familiar with this world. I personally was not terribly familiar with this with this part of history and that part of the world at that time. I think they must have learned that it's a dangerous place. It was not a fun place to be at the time. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it know, definitely you know? doesn't seem fun, that's for sure. Mm. So I think when those people were taking the boats from, uh, you know, they were escaping uh, a life and they were just leaving everything to build a new life here on the, in the Nouvelle France. Sorry, I'm switching in French sometimes. And <laughs> uh, and I, I they were afraid, you know. It was it was a scary thing, a scary move, move to do, and it was a scary place, and it was dangerous, and you had to protect yourself. And uh, no wonder at some point, there wasn't at the very big beginning a palisade around Wobeck, but it had to, to come at, at, you know, at the very, you have to build, you, you have to protect yourself. And I think that people would learn from, you know, watching the episodes that it it was a scary world and it was hard to live at that time. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's uh, something that we don't see often. I think I'm very not, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy and glad and I was uh, chanceux and we, uh, that, I, that I had this offer to make this series because uh, you don't get to work on those uh Arua, which was actually where I come from, my ancestors. So this is also something very touching that you can tell your story. And when you do your research, you dig about yourself and your ancestors. And when we, I was meeting with people and uh, historian, they were also proud to participate in a in a, in a series like this because they said, "My, it's just next door to us, and we're going to be telling our own story." Of course, I want to tell you what color should be the wood frame, and what pigment were used at that time because this is really so precious. So every hopefully, everybody that watched the show will will be carried uh, three hundred years ago and will feel how it was and could feel all the emotion that was tra- transported through this series. Um, absolutely. And I must say, I was very struck by, once again, how tough women had it. <laughs> we, uh, yes. What they were put through and, and just, uh, I mean, you'll have to really watch the show to, to see the, the, all the walks of life of the feminine experience represented. But wow, that was a, a, a particular test for women back then. So another reason to love women, as if we, we needed another one. <laughs> and Anna, tell me uh, what you're most proud of in terms of of this project and how it was different in a larger scale and more challenging than, than other things you've worked on. Um, as you say, Stacy, I agree with, I mean, I, I feel the same way as you. It's, it's, I wasn't familiar with any of this sort of culture. I mean, I kind of knew a little bit of, of the field of one, the story, but for me, when I, Elwood invited me to do this project at the beginning, I was kind of afraid to say, Oof, that's a culture that I don't know, and and for me it was a it, it was a good challenge because I I learn a lot and I really hope that the audience can can learn 
the same way as I did, and I think we all did. I mean, even people from Quebec, I think with each episode and which the things that we were just researching, we, we learn all the time. And I love doing this, this shows or, or films, historical, because it's, it's a way to learn that even in school, no, they, they never teach you the sort of the reality till you dig mm. in. Um, so for me, that was, that was one of the things that, that made me really um, happy to do this project. And I really hope that the audience can see that. Um, and another good challenge that we have is to make the people that help us, and I will say like people from the community of the Wendat and historians and, and, and the people from Quebec that were really close with us, as Isabel was saying, they were really enthusiastic to help in this show, um, to make them proud of the things that we did, you know, because we're talking about them and their people. And I have to say that the entire people that, that work with us in the background world were really, really happy and proud of how we represented them. Um, and oh, that's great. For me, that was that was a, a, a gift, you know, like it, it, they all came in and because I was just afraid, you know, it's a culture that, that you don't know and and that you really need to study and, and again, make them proud and and who they were. And that for me was something really important to and that, that I always kept that on my mind, you know, just be accurate and obviously give it a twist as much as we can. Um, and as you say, I think we learn a lot about women. Hannah Shea, that has been working with me for a long, long time, and myself and Veronique, we couldn't even believe what women had to go through in that time. You know, it was, it's something insane. I cannot even talk about it right now, but um, it was, it's, it's just something that, that um, yeah, that you don't even think about it till you, you're researching all that. So again, yeah. We knew a little bit of it on my side. What were you saying as well? I was just saying that we knew on, on this on this side, saying that this is where we come from, Quebec and the winter and the bugs and all of that. We, you know, the women, what they were used to. So we, we knew a little bit of it where, Anna is not from here, so it was a it was a great challenge for people not from here to find out about the the cold and the bug at the same time and the sun and the wind <laughs> and, the, and and the no water, no running water. It's a it's a crazy thing, but uh, yeah, it was human. Tough. Yeah, human beings have lived through a lot and are currently live through living through a very interesting time. That's for sure. Yeah, for this. sure. <laughs> Remember that, uh, Anna, that little house at the very beginning when we shot the feeds of what coming and visiting? They were coming and visiting. What was her name? The actor, the name of the, the character. And she had four kids and living in that little cabin. And it was so miserable. Poor I, girl. And they were like, they, yeah. was, they were like, oh, um, my God. And then the, the, the nuns were coming and say, hey, let's go and visit her. You'll see what your future will be when you find your great husband and you're going to have your own house and families and kids. And it was just more discouraging than anything else. It was like, you don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely watched the show feeling very grateful to have options and choices in life. We very lucky. <laughs> very, very lucky. I also want to acknowledge another amazing woman, Annie Prue, on whose novel this entire series is based. Mm -hmm. And if people want to read the book first to get a sense of this particular piece of history, they can read the book. But the book is also called Barkskins. 
that was a great inspiration in the book. I must say, I, you know, this is really just so what it was and uh, really well written. She's, she's fabulous. And uh, wouldn't do that with the, the help, uh, you know, without the help of uh, Elwood and our fabulous directors and David David Slade and uh, also my team. I must, I, I must say a great thank you to all my construction team, all my art department and, uh, you know, elevated all that craftsmanship of my team that elevated the bar so high to make it look real and make it uh, alive, you know. Well, uh, amazing work all around, and congratulations to you both on this. I, I'm exhausted just even thinking about the, all the work you did, so that speaks very very heavily to your accomplishment, I think. Thank you, Stacey. That was really nice. Thank you so much, Stacey. You'll find more information on Barkskins and Nat Geo's other 2020 Emmy contenders at natgeotv.com slash FYC. This is Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and thank you so much for listening. The Making of, a Nat Geo podcast, is a National Geographic production. Executive produced by Stephanie Montgomery and Chris Alpert. Hosted by Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Written and produced by Dave Beesing, Ted Woods, Jason Jackson, Kevin Horton, and Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Production coordinator, Juliana Parisi. And in association with Benstown, McVeigh Media, and Sound That Brands. <laughs>